Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we are going to talk about election 2020, what did and did not happen. Kyle Scheidler of the Center for Security Policy joins me to talk about DC election violence and street fights and an update Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, much as I can get done in the time allotted. And then, of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. If you listen to my show every day, you know that yesterday and the day before and several times before that, I predicted on election 2020 yesterday that Donald Trump would win. And we are not yet there. I am not yet wrong. And in fact, what I want to tell you is I still will stand by this. I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to say it at the end of the show and maybe more times in between. It is not possible that a majority of Americans voted to bring socialism and Marxism to America, which is what the American left is, that voted for a party and a candidate that has not just tolerated and remained silent, but actually fomented and encouraged massive violence in America's cities, compounded with a campaign theme of defund the police, at in a time of extreme violence, there's no way a majority of Americans voted for socialism, for the violence, for the defund the police, or that they voted for a man who is so confused, suffering from dementia, which is sad, but in his case, real, who has clearly, as it has been shown, as America has been treated to the emails on Hunter Biden's laptop, a man who has, in varying degrees, sold out America to our number one enemy, China, apparently had very nefarious dealings. China, Ukraine, Iraq, Romania, other countries that Amer the majority of American voters went for that man. There is no way. And there is also not even half of what the Hunter Biden emails yet have shown has yet been played out. But even what they do have. There's not a chance that a majority of American people voted for what they know is true about the Hunter Biden situation, about a man who is so confused at rallies that he forgets what race he's in, what state he's in, what year it is, who he's running against. This is, there's not any way that a majority of actual citizens of America voted for the radical Marxist socialist street rioting, defund the police message of the Democrat party this year. That is not true. What did happen yesterday, good, some good things happened. We, we're going to talk at the end of the show after our guest is on. We're going to talk about where we are in some of the states. But what did happen was America got again treated or had proven laid out before them that we cannot trust the media with respect to polling. Many of you saw over the time of the election cycle that as we got closer and closer to, to the election of yesterday, you saw the media claiming that Biden was 11 points up, 13 points up, up over the country in all these swing states, up, 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 up. Many of them too close to call. One call that shouldn't have been Arizona. Many 
obvious examples of the fact the media just pumped America into the expectation that Biden will win. So we learned the media lies and the polls can simply cannot be relied on. We also learned uh, a great relief to America and patriots. Texas did not go blue. Texas didn't even get close to going blue. Texas held on to a Republican majority. We didn't have our governor up this time, but a Republican majority in the Texas House, Texas Senate, huge consequences with respect to the, the census next time around and drawing district lines. Texas held the GOP majority. The Democrats did not take the United States Senate and therefore cannot go forth with their court packing plan. Many of the big predictions, big expectations out of the American left simply did not happen. We didn't get the Trump victory. I still will maintain if the Trump team can use their legal team and their strategy team to continue pushing, I still will tell you, I believe Donald Trump will emerge victorious. And it is not because, just because he has smarter lawyers. It is because ultimately I believe we will get to the truth that as I said at the start of this first five, the majority of Americans did not vote to bring a socialist, Marxist, violence tolerating and inciting, defunding the police message and plan to America. America simply did not do that. And that my very fine friends is today's first five. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have Kyle Scheidler joining us. We'll see him in a moment. He's joining us by Skype. But, uh, and as I say, the end of the segment of the, of the show, we're going to talk a lot more closely about the election results. But Kyle Scheidler with the Center for Security Policy uh, joined us at least one other time, I think a couple other times. He is our director and senior analyst for Homeland Security and Counterterrorism. Um, he, is a, he specializes in Islamist groups operating in the U.S., he joined us previously as we were talking about the ideological as well as the monetary roots of Antifa. Where did they come from? Who funds them? What do they really think? He is going to join us today talking about what's happened in Washington, D.C. last night on election night as the individuals who come from the shutdown D.C. movement who are obviously, uh, you know, lock, have locked arms with Antifa, Black Lives Matter, other rant, radical anti-American groups have had all planned major, major violence in Washington last night. I guess it's a little bit of a, uh, you know, silver lining to the fact that the election isn't yet decided, that the rioters and destroyers and arsonists and murderers weren't quite as sure they wanted to be out in the streets yet because they weren't sure what they had to protest, weren't sure what the outcome was going to be. But we're going to hear him talk about that and also talk about a piece he wrote, which ties in well what I was talking uh, about in the first segment, which was essentially the kind of fight we're now we're, we're now moving into. We passed the election day yesterday, early voting on election day, and now we're in the street fight to get to the right answer, to get the conclusion of what happened in the 2020 election. So, Kyle Shiler, I believe we have a line. Hello, sir. Hi, thank you for having me. Love having you. Good to see you, sir. Well, I want to start with your, uh, first of all, uh, thank you for your great writing. You uh, wrote a piece that I think was originally in the American Mind, um, and actually for our listeners, it's on our website at americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down, list of links, can read this article, but it says, can the right win a 2020 election street fight? And that was a caption of your article, and I know you aren't talking about getting out and beating people up in the streets, but what are you talking about in terms of 2020 election and the street fight? Sure, well, so the term street fight is not my term. That is a quote from the Transition Integrity Project, 
which was a group of uh, primarily Democrats and some never Trumpers uh, that were uh, alleging that the president would refuse to lose uh, to leave office if he were to lose the election and that they should therefore be prepared uh, if necessary to remove him from power. And they said that the scenario would ultimately be a quote street fight, not a legal fight. So that's where that term comes from. Uh, but the idea was that they would seek to put into the streets uh, protesters uh, in order to uh, make people believe uh, that the American people want Trump to go, that they do not believe that Trump won the election. Uh, and so that was uh, that was the scenario that they were they, they were painting. So what I was saying in that article at the American Mind was, uh, if that's the case, if this is what they choose to do, uh, if on election night it appears, as the scenario now uh, is playing out, that President Trump believes, for, uh, with some reason, that he has won uh, or, or was winning on election night, uh, that there are a number of states that are still opened, uh, openly contested, uh, some questions about counting and, uh, and eligible vo uh, votes in those states. So those things are all things that need to get decided. Now, in our system, those things are decided legally. They're decided by lawyers and teams of lawyers, uh, and that's what we should expect. Uh, and America has a stable process for doing that. But the goal of groups like uh, Shutdown DC, which is one of the organizations that you mentioned, uh, is to uh, distract from that and to make it a battle which is fought in the media and uh, by convincing people uh, that large groups of people oppose the president uh, and do not uh, will not allow him to be reelected. One thing that One people minute. love about President Trump, several commentators picked up in the language from the Transition Integrity Project about a street fight. And they're making the point that, you know, yeah, we, they're, they're talking about the, this Transition Integrity people maybe having to, you know, take it out into the streets. But part of what people love about President Trump is he will certainly use a legal team and pursue every legal avenue to try to get an accurate vote. I don't think, I actually think there is in, tremendous real integrity on the side of the Republicans or President Trump. I think they'll use every legal and, and genuine, honest means of getting to the right result, getting to the fair result, the legal result of the election. But people also love the term street fight, and sometimes it has a, a, a more broad meaning. But the idea, President Trump will engage in the uh, battle of the public discussion. He'll engage in the put out his point of view, make his argument, try to use Twitter, although they're increasingly censoring him, but he'll get in the battle in the American political conversation, and he won't just sit silently in his office and let the lawyers duke it out. And I think that's one reason that people were thrilled President Trump uh, won, because they see him as a fighter at this time when the left is so mobilized to be fighting against him. Debbie, and I think also uh, one thing that the president knows very well, and you see this with his uh, omnipresent rallies, uh, which were a big deal in 2016 and also a big deal in 2020, is that he understands that you have to bring people together in a real space. Uh, and this shows that you have real support. Uh, this is basic politics 101. But in this uh, big tech era, we've gotten away from it uh, to, to quite a degree. But President Trump realizes something that the left has long believed, which is that uh, you have to be able to put real supporters uh, in a real space uh, where they can be seen and so that people know that you have support and so that this is going to be very important moving forward 
uh, while President Trump and his team consider the legal issues, as they absolutely should be doing, uh, they need to remember, they need to keep their uh, morale of their supporters high. They should be considering uh, holding rallies, uh, drawing attention to the support that the president has, uh, and that his supporters want to see this process taken to its fair and legal and logical conclusion. Uh, and that they're not going to abandon the, the, the president just because uh, some media entity or another has made a call based on uh, statistics. Yeah, you know, actually, I love that point. And there are many people commenting about in Butler, Pennsylvania, the enormous rally. I think it was either it was the night, day before the election, I think, where there were some numbers as high as 60,000, but these massive pictures of people. And they're just effusive. And as many people point out, this is at a Trump rally, Butler, Pennsylvania. You know, no one goes to those rallies uh, because they want to, you know, learn some new campaign slogans or hear some new uh, policy ideas. They already know more or less what he's going to say. He's going to effuse love of America, love of freedom, love of the idea of free markets and secure borders, all his policy themes. It's the most amazing phenomenon to watch. People go watch him, even though they already know what he's going to say. And I love the idea. And I actually had someone contact me this morning saying, too bad they can't get all those Butler, Pennsylvania uh, people who went to cheer on President Trump at the rally to show up outside, show up outside where they're counting votes, not to commit violence, but just to say, we're watching you. We, we, you know, we're the ones who like him, and we are really we're not sure that you're doing the right thing here. We're very worried you're trying to steal the election. I kind of love that. And, and you're right that President Trump has used this, his ability to galvanize crowds, to bring rallies together. It cements for people comfort in supporting him. They look around and realize, wow, I'm not the only one. I love this guy speaking about love America. I love this guy speaking about all his issues, you know, strong national security and secure borders and a fair immigration system and free markets, all that. So I, I love that he has used crowds and that in-person contact uh, to tremendous uh, advantage, both in, in the previous election, 2016, and this time. So your article, I want to make sure I give it a due credit because I, I love that. I love that people are attacking the Transition Integrity Project. Um, and I mean, the premise of it is, of course, is that everyone knows Biden will win. So if he doesn't, here's what we're going to do. Is that about right? That that's exactly right. And I think we saw this play out last night uh, with elements of the media where they uh, attempted to put their thumb on the scale of when certain states were called. And, 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 it, and it's all about an image, creating an image of an event that's not occurring, uh, that things aren't happening the way uh, that we think they're happening. Right, and and this is this is where the this, this is where the the transition integrity project and and these sorts of groups were, were functioning and what they were calling for. Uh, it's a, it's an information operation, uh, is what we would say uh, in the strategy space. It's about uh, convincing people that something is happening that is not happening. Yeah, and then of course once they do that. Um, I love the information operation. I'm writing that. I love when you use that expression. Other people have too. My show is, is exactly what it is. It is to shape and mold public opinion. So people hold a certain view and they assume that if there is a hesitancy on the part of President Trump, if he were to have lost the election, 
uh, hesitancy to uh, announce that immediately, to congratulate Biden or something that would give them a chance to pounce. They see, see, he's never going to leave. They're setting up the public to believe that and therefore justify the violence they're planning on engaging in. It's very um, ugly strategy, but I think I think you're exactly right. Um, well, you also wrote a piece about what's happening in Washington uh, last night, and honestly, I think that you know, even where I live in Dallas, Texas, we heard a lot of concern expressed by people we know who have national security backgrounds, who've been Secret Service, other national security backgrounds saying, you know, if things get ugly, it could be even moving out of the downtown area into other areas of Dallas. So we had people expressing concern, even, you know, we're, we're, we're way out in the, you know, kind of more suburb area, but uh, we heard people expressing that concern. And I think since the media doesn't give much publication to the riots that happened in Washington last night, to the conduct in Washington, people think, oh, that again, it was exaggerated. Nothing really bad happened. So lay it out for us, Kyle, and what you described in your article. What happened in Washington, the streets of Washington last night? Sure. Well, I wouldn't describe it as a riot. It was definitely a march or a protest. Uh, it was a very aggressive one. Uh, but it was a protest or a march. It was almost, I would say, a shakedown cruise. So the night started uh, in the evening with individuals gathering at Black Lives Matter Plaza, and it almost had a carnival-like feel to it. They had a, a local go-go band playing music. Uh, they had uh, people dancing. It's pretty normal street theater-type stuff. Uh, but as it got darker, we saw Antifa groups begin to put out calls to assemble the black block. Black block is where you see those units of people moving in unison, uh, all wearing black uh, and wearing masks. Uh, and so they began to do that um, and uh, they began moving north out of Black Lives Matter Plaza, which is, uh, so they were moving actually away from the White House, not towards it. Uh, but they took a march through DC, heading in a generally northeasterly direction uh, before they finally ended up at about 2.30 in the morning outside the 4th uh, precinct of the Metropolitan Police Department. Uh, there were a number of assaults uh, connected with this, um, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a riot. Uh, what I did see was a lot of intimidation of journalists, a very aggressive uh, pushing on journalists, yelling at journalists. Some journalists had cam cameras taken uh, or, or broken. Uh, so we did see a lot of that kind of intimidation, which I think is intended to set the tone for future days, uh, to let journalists know that they will not be allowed to cover uh, any parts of these events uh, that Antifa and its allies do not want covered. So uh, I think that was really the goal of last night, was to set the stage for future nights. Uh, we saw some uh, protests also take place in places like Seattle and Portland, uh, where there's a very uh, active Antifa contingent, but mostly we're seeing calls for events uh, tonight uh, in places like Minneapolis and Chicago, uh, as well as DC and Portland. Uh, and then uh, we're also seeing calls for later in the week as well. I think as the rhetoric uh, and the contest, the legal contest between the two campaigns heats up, the streets will heat up uh, correspondingly. I did want to talk about the journalist piece, and actually I noticed that you mentioned British author Douglas Murray. Uh, he's really, he's a very famous guy. Was he there? He, was he there? appeared to be there. I, um, I saw wow. his uh, social media where he very bravely actually uh, took uh, 
video and pictures of Antifa changing into their black block, meaning abandoning their street clothes and putting on their, their black garb. And this is where they are often uh, most uh, most opposed to being filmed or, or, or videoed or, um, or having their pictures taken. So they can be very, very aggressive when this happens. Uh, and he was pointing out in his post that uh, other journalists were simply uh, doing what Antifa wanted and not covering uh, their behavior. Uh, and he pointed this out and he, he was accosted for it. Uh, but as far as I know, he's, he's safe. Yeah, there's also, you made reference at one point, 20 Antifa members reportedly sought to hunt and kill Blaze reporter Elijah Schaefer, who uh, successfully evacuated from the protests unharmed. But it really brings up a point about the way the media in this country have handled, I, I, find, I agree you're saying this wasn't a riot, but they've handled all the conduct, conduct by Black Lives Matter, Antifa, uh, you have Shutdown DC, the Sunrise Movement behind the scenes. All of these groups engaging in different cities, different forms of violence. And at first, the media was covering it a great deal. What we call the mainstream media was covering it. But there's almost been, as we came up to, uh, toward the election, fewer and fewer stories. In fact, a lot of people were surprised to realize that the Portland riots and protests were still going on. They thought, hey, it all ended. You know, that was a few weeks ago. That was months ago. And I think the media, to a certain degree, is complicit in not letting the American public realize that this is all still ongoing. And then what you're describing about the conduct uh, last night in Washington was the, the uh, protesters, the, this is Black Lives Matter uh, protesters in Washington, that they were trying to kind of make the rule and draw the line in the sand. You know, you cover us when we want, and if we don't want to be covered, you know, you're going to be sorry if you cover us. Is that fair? That's exactly right. And if you get a reputation for covering them in, in a way that they don't want, uh, like uh, this Blaze reporter does uh, very well, I should point out, he, he covers them very well, um, then they will target you explicitly. They will know who you are uh, and they will look for you in these protests. Uh, they are quite savvy. Um in terms of gathering intelligence, conducting surveillance on people that they know oppose them. So uh, there is a real cost for people who want to, to get the truth out about how these uh, operations are, are taking place. It's an astonishing thing. I want to now turn and talk about the groups involved. And yesterday on the show, um, I played a video. Uh, there's an organization, Sunrise, and now there's another organization, trying. speaking of people trying to expose them, called Expose Sunrise. And they were involved. There was a video we played which had people who were actual current members, employees of the federal government in some level of bureaucracy, kind of online in a Zoom call. You can see their faces. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see this yesterday or see this incident, this Zoom call? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, had, uh, I had sources with access to the video. Okay, good. So somehow I got a whole, I, I played that portion of the video yesterday uh, just to make the point that this is an example of when people say deep state doesn't exist or that's something a concoction, not a right-wing extremist. These are people who work for the federal government and they're talking about how openly they ought to be trying to help and what ways they could help the rioters, protesters, whatever you want to call them, uh, as they engage in this effort to remove Trump from office. My point being, there is still a need if President Trump succeeds in getting this second term uh, at, to seriously drain the swamp. But what I want to get to you with, Kyle, is so this one group that's the main group that was uh, talking about violence yesterday was shut down D.C. What do you know about them and their backgrounds and connection? 
Sure. So Shutdown DC is actually made up of a number of uh, primarily eco-activist groups, um, some of whom have ties to uh, as known labor organizers. So they're not people. They are not people that are uh, outside of the left-wing organizing space. Uh, they are well well within what the left considers normal uh, direct action protesting space. We saw them take to the streets this morning uh, outside the RNC and outside Fox News uh, to protest them. Uh, but they, they also are sponsored by a group called All Out DC, which is a, uh, a DC Antifa group. So there are links between the more aggressive uh, Antifa types, BLM types, and then the more traditional but still left-wing uh, organizing types uh, that you see in the environmental movement, that you see in the labor movement. So there, there's a, a, a wide, um, we called it in an article that I wrote in American Greatness, Antifa industry, where you have everything from public relations professionals to out-and-out -out anarchists, uh, but they all exist within an ecosystem of cooperation amongst themselves. And so that's something that I think is very important to understand because when people try to ask, you know, how is it that these black garbed anarchists uh, are able to participate and move uh, within these uh, within these protests, that's why, because there's an ecosystem in, into which they can move. Uh, that isn't to say that every single one of these people behind shutdown DC is violent or criminal per se, uh, but they are uh, they are part of a movement within which violent uh, people swim. Okay, that, that that's a great summary. So I know you did it one time on my show uh, weeks ago, but you talk a little about about Antifa's uh, decades long history, where the kind of roots of it, uh, as which has now become an active movement in America, but has its roots. And I love if you could give a quick summary of that again about who Antifa is, what it is. Sure. Well, I think it's going to be uh, especially important now because the real purpose of Antifa is to prevent a mainstream normal political participation. Uh, they pretend to be about anti-fascism. They pretend to be uh, against the far right or, or violent militias or something like that. But the reality is that their, their purpose is to prevent regular Americans from being able to speak their mind, from being able to attend protests or rallies. Uh, and these sorts of things. And so this is really uh, ultimately what drives Antifa and, and the role that they play in this organizing universe. Uh, they come out of uh, left-wing um, radical politics of the 1970s and 80s. They have connections to the weather underground and what was called the May 19th Communist uh, organi Organization which were, these were the groups that were conducting some of the bombing and, and armor, armored car robberies in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. So they, their roots are in violent left-wing politics. Uh, and a lot of these guys never retired. They just essentially got promoted. A lot of them became professors. Uh, they became specialists in organizing, uh, labor union organizers, these kinds of things. And they have continued to inculcate their ideology uh, to the young people to today. So there's a, sort of an unbroken chain between uh, the days of rage in the late 60s and what we see today. And perhaps I'm misremembering, but even before the late 60s, Antifa originally had roots or an organization by that name. Was it even before that in Germany? Am I misremembering that? That's right. 1932, yeah. Anti-Fascist Action is founded by the Communist Party of Germany. 
uh, and that's really where this technique uh, of of alienating and uh, minimizing the mainstream in order to achieve um, politics took place. So this was in the in the Weimar Republic. Uh, the communists sought to alienate the Social Democrats and other uh, liberal and conservative parties and make politics a contest between the communists uh, and the Nazis. And so that was the goal of Antifa then. And it's very much similar to what they're trying to do now. So while there's not a direct connection to the early days of the 1930s, there is an ideological and there is a sort of tactical or strategic connection uh, in that they, they play a similar role. And can you say again what that similar role is today for Antivo? There's the similar role of what they're trying to do. Their mission today is to? Their mission today is to, as much as possible, prevent uh, mainstream regular Americans from participating in politics or, or being able to speak their minds freely. Uh, they do this first and foremost by equating uh, people who seek to participate in politics, who support, you know, the current duly elected president, Donald Trump, uh, by associating him with fascism and his supporters with fascism, which, of course, nobody in America wants to be a fascist. And then second of all, they do this with violence. So first of all, you will be denigrated. You will be accused of believing things you don't believe. Uh, your, your neighbors will be told that you're a terrible person. Uh, and then second of all, you risk violence. Uh, if you, you know, try to speak out, if you try to attend a rally, if you try to attend a demonstration, if you try to uh, engage in the media or report on things that, that, that they don't want reported on. So that is their ultimate goal. It is so great for Americans to understand this. You know, it's a very um, understatement, a very toxic time in America, a very divided time. And even for people who are strong patriots, love the Constitution, I mean, I, speaking for myself and millions of Americans, you actually support the First Amendment, the actual notion of the robust exchange of ideas, the rights of various people to hold opinions unlike yours, you know, that kind of, a, I'll, I don't agree with what you're saying, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. That's an American spirit, an American idea that, yeah, you can have a protest and a march for something that, you know, the majority of Americans don't like. That's the beauty of the First Amendment. But this is antithetical to that idea, this antifa. I mean, it's kind of funny because people on our side or on the conservative side tend to say, well, you know, everyone has a voice. But what Antifa is trying to say is, no, no, we, we decide who has a voice. And it's not it's not anyone that we disagree with. And that's, that's a, a exactly right. Yeah. Profoundly un-American idea. Profoundly. OK, so, Kyle, this is amazing. I'm so glad I've forgotten, actually, that you I, I love what you wrote about all these things. I love um, talking about shutdown D.C., talking about um, Antifa, um, understanding what's happening on the ground in Washington. And, um, you know, it's a funny thing. I'm I feel concerned that if uh, if uh, certainly if ultimately President Trump is uh, determined by it's going to probably be the Supreme Court determined that he won uh, this election, won re-election. I don't know what kind of uh, situation America will be on the ground. I'm not even sure these groups, though, are going to be silent and, and go back into their caves if we have a Biden victory. What's your sense about that? If the, is the Biden victory mean okay, we're all done and we're, we're happy, we've gotten our goals, or do you have a sense, uh, maybe you don't know yet, but do you have a sense that they still would be engaging in violence because they have a bigger mission than just the Biden victory? Oh, no, they've been quite explicit about this. Uh, they have uh, openly said uh, this will continue whether uh, Trump wins or Biden wins. Um, 
really, we may even see more activity if Biden wins because there will be a sense that they can push the Biden administration to accept radical policies uh, that they couldn't get out of the Trump administration. For example, they may feel they may certainly feel that they are winning uh, if they get a Biden administration. Uh, Lisa Fithian, who is a major anarchist organizer, who was one of the major trainers on that shutdown D.C. event, uh, said, you know, fight for the enemy that you want. And the enemy that they want is Biden because they know that they can push him around. They know that they can push him towards radical policies. So that's ultimately what this is about. For them, the fight with Trump is just about uh, getting an opportunity to target the Biden administration and to force them to accept uh, radical policies like the abolition of police uh, and so on and so forth. So this does not stop. Um, they will. You get a sense that there's a promise from you know certain elements of, of the Democratic Party uh, and the liberal media that oh if Trump goes away this all ends. But it's not true. This isn't going to stop. Uh, no matter who wins the election, these groups have to be dealt with. Uh, because they are fundamentally uh, insurrectionist groups that seek the overthrow of the U.S. Constitution. I'm so glad you said that because I've uh, said similar ideas for a long time. At some point, these groups, you know, I, I'm always on and on about the robust exchange of ideas, love the First Amendment. But if what you're pushing is the overthrow of America and the ending of the Constitution and the radical leftist, I've been calling it Marxist revolution, you, you don't, at some point, your violence cannot continue. And when what you're advocating is insurrection and actually overthrow the American government, we don't have that doesn't count. That's not protected by the First Amendment. Kyle Scheidler, I love talking with you. So glad you were available today. Can you share with the listeners how to find your writings and where I know your Center for Security Policy? You write for several outlets now, right? Sure. So my, uh, you can find all my work at Center for Security Policy, securefreedom.org. Uh, you can also check me out on Twitter. It's just my last name, Scheidler K, on Twitter. Uh, and I put a lot of stuff out there, especially on, on what the radicals are up to. Uh, I'll be tracking them again tonight. Uh, so we will see what happens. Kyle Scheidler, thanks so much for taking time to join me today. Thank you. Okay, folks, great, great guy. You definitely should read his writing. His last name he was telling you at, on Twitter is Scheidler, S-H-I-D-E-L-E-R-K, at Scheidler K. Really a great resource. Well, I'm going to just tell you, here we are. We're day after Election Day. We don't have results yet. I want to share some things with you in this final segment, and I'm going to get through some states and what's happening in them. I'm going to start with Arizona. And you likely know, if you listen to my show very often, that Kelly Ward uh, is a chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party. There has never been a harder working chair of any Republican Party anywhere. She's a rock star. She happens to be a doctor, a medical doctor. She's also a, um, a former state senator in Arizona. She is now the chair of the GOP. To say that she knocked herself out in this election cycle does not begin to describe. So last night, fairly early on, as we're watching this map, in fact, I sent Matt the wonderful this map. Uh, if you can put this up, Matt, this is where we are allegedly today um, on, um, and let's leave that up for a while, where we are today on this um, election cycle. You see the top left, Joe Biden, 238, and then top right, Donald Trump, 214. Those are the numbers of electoral college votes they believe they have, and the net magic number is 270. So uh, beneath that, you can see the red states are uh, have been declared Republican victories. Blue, uh, the the brighter blue, have been declared Biden victories, and the pink and the blue, other blue ones are unsettled. 
I want to go through and talk with you about some of them. I'm going to start with Arizona. So last night they called Arizona very early. They called it for Biden. And many people were lamenting. In fact, I will just say a short shot at Fox News. I mean, you try to think, where can I go online to watch or on television to watch? And I, I heard, I mean, dozens of very serious conservatives uh, that I hang with and know just completely appalled and upset and unhappy with the coverage by Fox News last night. They seem to be, number one, buying into the effort to try to convince America that Biden has this it's all over. Number two, willing to make calls for states where the numbers were uh, not yet settled. And then on the other hand, um, if it was for Biden, the other hand, making obvious calls for Trump, they wouldn't make them. So I'll we'll start with Arizona. Arizona right now, the numbers are uh, they have 51 percent. These are these are as of the votes counted. And so they haven't counted all their votes yet. This is they're not talking about mail in ballot, which is a whole other arena. Just talking about votes in Arizona. Uh, we had a 1.4. Uh, let's see, 1.4, 1, 1 and change uh, votes for Biden. One. Uh, 318 votes for Trump. So it's 51% to 47.6. However, I reached out to one of my contacts, actually not Kelly, but somebody else to say, you know, because I saw last night as a state GOP chair, uh, I saw Kelly Ward put out basically a statement saying, hey, Fox is going to be a little bit sorry that they called this so early because uh, we aren't done counting and, the, and Fox is going to be wrong. Even today, I saw this morning, she had another statement out. You know, this is wrong. We're not done counting. So here are the numbers to quick tell you. I mentioned it's basically the difference um, between, put that map up again if you wouldn't map. The difference between 1411, uh, and this is Arizona, um, in, um, for uh, Biden, and 1318 for Trump. However, even as of, this is within a couple of hours before I started the show today, they have 500,000 ballots to count. So half a million ballots left to count. And they're trending because of where, what, what area of the state they came in from. Those ballots they've been counting are trending three to one in favor of Trump. So Arizona, at least as of now, I mean, I understand the you know, pollsters have called it, the networks have called it, Arizona potentially very, very much in play. Next one I wanted to mention um, has to do with the great state of Pennsylvania. And I was on a, um, I do political analysis, and so I am interviewed on other shows, and I was on uh, somebody else's show yesterday talking about the women's vote uh, in this election cycle, but another person who was on that show uh, was from Pennsylvania, and he's a pundit, and he was talking about the idea. He'd actually written a piece at American Spectator called Why Donald Trump Will Win Pennsylvania. So he's talking about in Pennsylvania how the just, if you drive anywhere in Pennsylvania, you just, all you see, you might see a tiny little Biden sign tucked away in the corner of a yard, hidden, but you see houses, house after house, big Trump signs, Trump flags, you know, stand up for America. I mean, just major, major enthusiasm for Trump. His point in this one piece that he wrote uh, about Trump was that the energy is overwhelming for President Trump uh, in this election cycle and, not, and, and very little enthusiasm for Biden. And 
he went along and explained how part of what happened was is Biden is now, I guess today at least, settled on his position that he is anti-fracking. And this drove a lot of Pennsylvania working people to say, uh-uh, anti-fracking, not for me. We don't want this. So where we are in Pennsylvania, I shall tell you. Pennsylvania, the vote count, uh, this map keeps fooling around with me here. I had the map. Okay. So in Pennsylvania, um, they had the... Um, uh, the count was, I'm going to get to it, in Pennsylvania, Donald Trump won an election night. So Pennsylvania was 52% for Donald Trump, 52% to 46.8. So over five points ahead, Trump over Biden in Pennsylvania. But they're saying they can't call it because they haven't counted the mail-in ballots. And I want to remind you what's happening in Pennsylvania with the mail-in ballots in the great state of Pennsylvania. They have, they have, by the way, elected judges. So the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, the state court I'm talking about in Pennsylvania, uh, is elected by the people. And the people in Pennsylvania had a um, had an election where um, they had they had so the judges, majority Democrat judges on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And the mail-in ballot thing happened where they just have put out massive mail-in ballots. And in Pennsylvania, they've had that Pennsylvania Supreme Court rule that mail-in ballots sent in without a, a, without a uh, date on them, a postmark, a date on them, must be counted. So the deal is you're supposed to mail in your ballot you know, on or before election day. You're not supposed to be able to wait till the day after the election and say, hey, you know, now that I think about it, I see it looks like so-and-so won. I think I'll mail my ballot in for the other guy. You're not supposed to be able to do that. So, what, you're, but you're supposed to have actually gotten it postmarked on election day. The, the uh, Supreme Court of the state of Pennsylvania had ruled that if the, if the postmark was illegible, but it arrived within three days of the uh, election day, or if there was no postmark. Somehow, I mean, things do make it through the mail on postmark. You get to count those. So the combination in Pennsylvania, they're counting uh, mail-in ballots with no postmarks. They have, the Supreme Court has said, no reason to compare the signature on the mail-in ballot with the voter's registration. No, no signature comparison. Every other state, in fact, especially states like Oregon that have had long time had mail-in ballots as the norm, the majority thing they do, have a very strict, very stringent, you compare the signature on the mail-in ballot to the signature on your voter card, and Pennsylvania saying, nah, you don't have to compare signatures. So anyone can sign, if they find someone they can sign for, uh, send it in, and they're not making comparisons of that. And the third one was, the third huge factor was, they voted that, the, they ruled that there was no basis to allow poll watchers. So, no postmark or postmark, you know, too blurry to read at all, um, or, and no signature verification, and no poll watchers, you know, as they say, what could go wrong? And so many pundits were writing about the fact that Pennsylvania appeared to have been set up as though they were going to be sure that Biden won Pennsylvania. It's a huge number of, um, 
let me go back and do that to me again. A huge number um, of uh, ballots, uh, of electoral votes you get for Pennsylvania. Um, it is 20 electoral votes. 20 would, you know, put Trump almost, you get him much closer to his 270. Uh, as I, again, in the, on the election day, he's at 52 to um, under 47 percent. So, he, you know, over five points up over Biden. And um, for 20 electoral votes um, up, up for grabs, and now they're voting, they're counting ballots in Pennsylvania under rules that many people are saying, you know, this doesn't sound right. This just sounds like they're setting him up to win. You know, one thing I saw in the first five saying today, and I'm going to get back to the point as I close up today, but it's not just that I have the opinion that I, could, I will never accept as a fact that a majority of American voters would choose the party in this election cycle in 2020 that is, has gone socialist, is supporting Marxism, that can never denounce socialism, unlike the Republicans can, that is engaged in support, agitation, and encouragement of left-wing groups that are rioting all over this country, that support the defund the police movement, and that have somebody running who is obviously corrupt, has, has been involved in truly um, unethical deals with China, the number one enemy of America, whose son, Hunter Biden, who has no education or background or experience at all in the world of energy, but got put on Burisma board and was paid $50,000 a month. That's, I mean, there is a lot of jobs people do for 50,000 a month to do nothing. He had no jobs. He sat on the board and got 50000 a month. In fact, Giuliani is now saying, no, it's got to be more like 80000 a month and doing nothing. His singular qualifying factor, the only reason he was qualified is because he's connected to his dad, the then vice president. You have major evidence of corruption. Not only do I not buy that the majority of the American people would vote for that, but I think there are many, many Republicans who also do not buy this. I think there are Republicans in this country, and I don't know the percentage, but a, a groundswell that's going to say, this will not stand. This will not stand. We're not going to let the Democrats steal this election. And that's what people see in places like Pennsylvania. They see, they're worried about, they're concerned about the idea that Pennsylvania is, was set up ahead of time to allow the Democrats to use the... Um, the process, use the process of the mail-in ballots to allow them to win the election when, in fact, Trump won it hands down on the ground uh, in, uh, you know, on election day when everyone really normally used to vote. So then we had, so we talked about Arizona, we talked about um, Pennsylvania. I want to hit quickly on Michigan. I saw something, I think it's right. Um, the Trump team is actually filing a, a lawsuit. The Trump campaign's filing a lawsuit in Michigan. Again with Michigan, there was on the day of the election, let me tell you where it came out. On the day of the election, the difference, it was being called for Biden. Uh, they had uh, 16 electoral votes. They have uh, 2.6 million for uh, Biden at 49.9. Um, and they had for Trump, um, 48.8 so biden up by one uh 2.6 um eight two excuse me 2,684,000 to 2,617,000 so very very tiny minority difference tiny number of votes 
and again in Michigan, uh, they're looking at mail-in ballots. There was a little fluke in Michigan that I was going to correct because, uh, in all fairness, you have to try to be truthful. Uh, always be truthful about everything. In Michigan, there was a big story out that a bunch of, that over 100,000 mail-in ballots have been turned in, uh, and from one particular area of the state. Over it was from. Um, Shawassel County or Shiawassel County, something like that, very odd name, but in any case, uh, mail-in ballots from that county have been turned in and uh, there were over 100,000, in fact, 153,710 votes, mail-in ballots turned in in Michigan from that county and they were all, 100% of them, for Biden. So you can imagine people saying, wow, what are the odds of that? I mean, you know, there are many senior voters who use mail-in ballots and mail-in ballots are more popular with Democrat voters than Republican, but they're also more popular with older voters who tend to be Republican. So who knows? Pretty bizarre circumstance and there's a lot of commotion and upset about the idea. How could all 153,710 mail-in ballots from one county all be for Biden? It turned out there was later, uh, they did announce just a little while ago that there was a little bit of confusion there. They missed it by a digit. And so it wasn't really 153,710. It was only 15,371. So 15,000 new mail-in ballots, but they were all for Biden. And that does make people kind of wonder. The mail-in ballots, as we said many, many times on the show, is a playground, a recipe for fraud mail-in fraud to win an election and and this is what I, I this is why i say there are many people in this country that say this will not stand because you know if you counting the actual victories uh when and the election day victories which include early voting okay, early voting and election day victories but somehow mail-in ballots are going to turn elections and we watched this happen in california i think it was in 2018 with several majors like five u.s house seats that were held by Republicans got flipped and the Republican won it on election day. So the combination of early votes and election day voting, but the mail-in ballots counted later, flipped the seats to Democrat. And there was of course, a lot of concern that that was not valid. So we are facing a time in America where you have many, many people deeply, profoundly concerned about whether or not this is simply we're watching an effort of the Democrat party to steal this election. A an effort, by the way, viewed by many, as to have been having been started way ahead of time, planned ahead of time, planned ahead of time in terms of using COVID, exaggerating the response to COVID so people are scared to death, leave their homes, and then use the fear of COVID to justify massive mail-in ballots, which every Democrat knows, every everyone involved in politics knows. Mail-in ballots are a just a playground for fraud for someone determined to steal an election. So a few other states, we're about out of time here, but um, we had uh, Pennsylvania, just a, a huge judicial issue in Pennsylvania. Uh, Trump up, as I was saying, 52-47. You have North Carolina, Trump up 50% to 48. North Carolina uh, is still count, or, or there's, they're still counting their mail-in ballots. Uh, Georgia, listen to this, Georgia again, Trump up 50.1 to 48.7. Uh, they're still counting ballots. And I'm just getting at the idea and telling you folks that this isn't over. I don't ever want the Republicans or conservatives or patriots of any kind to agree to surrender an election because the other side is trying to steal it 
or because they're threatening violence or because their supporters are supporting violence in the streets of Washington. And you heard Kyle Scheidler talk about other places. Violence is expected and happening all over this country will continue to happen. We cannot surrender the White House because of pressure from the media of uh, them calling elections too early, waiting for the facts, for, ha for having mail-in ballots, seem to be popping up, all going one way, and supposed to all go, well, I guess that's how it was. I guess every single person, all 15,731 people who did mail-in ballots in that county, all, they probably all love Biden. That, that's reasonable to assume. There has to be some willingness, and this is why I'll wrap up the show today and turn to my why it matters, but I think that there are many, many reasons people are grateful that Donald Trump won election um, and is, again, fighting for re-election here in 2020. Because he's a fighter. Because he fights. Because he's not going to give in to pressure and say, okay, okay, I see we have violence in the streets, I see we have Antifa and Black Lives Matter and shut down DC and all sorts of other extremely dangerous, nefarious left-wing groups threatening us, so let's just give in. To make peace, we will give in and give in and lose the election. This is never what Donald Trump would do. It's not what his team will do. He's got his lawyers ready. Both sides of the aisle have their lawyers ready, still have lawyers ready to roll. They're filing lawsuits or challenging decisions by state chairs state election chairs, they're, they're challenging decisions in all sorts of cases in which votes get counted with a basic notion, and I will tell you again the difference. On the left side, they're so determined to bring the radical left to power in this country that the anything goes mentality applies even with respect to voting. I'm not saying as to every Democrat, there are plenty, millions of honest Democrats in this country who for whatever reason still vote Democrat. Maybe because their dad was in a union or because their grandmother made them promise to always vote Democrat or maybe because they really are Marxists and socialists and they want the Democrat party to become that. Millions of, of people in America voted for the left because they actually believe in something the left stands for. I understand, I will concede that. But the people who are pushing the buttons at the top of the party are determined to use any means necessary to get Joe Biden over the finish line. And he won't be president for five minutes, but still get him over the finish line. The Republican side is determined to be sure we actually follow the law and that we get results of this election consistent with the will of the American people. That is what Donald Trump is pushing for. That is what his lawyers are pushing for. Uh, there was a commentary earlier today, I didn't grab a clip of it, but it was Sidney Powell was interviewed somewhere and she was talking about the left is using their lawfare uh, organization and method, the lawfare thing they used to go after Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, to go after everyone that they wanted to uh, get rid of in the Trump administration during the whole Russia collusion hoax thing and basically Sidney Powell is saying the left is going to use that lawfare mentality again in this election cycle. They're going to use it to push to get Joe Biden in the White House by hook or crook. What every American should want on both sides of the aisle and whatever political party or no political party at all, what every American should want is honesty in the balloting, 
We should want to have open, transparent elections. The idea in Pennsylvania that there aren't going to be poll watchers able to watch the, the counting of the mail-in ballots is beyond absurd. I didn't get time to go to the rest of the other states, but the other states still in play. Uh, Wisconsin, Georgia, North Carolina. We'll talk about those maybe tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow we have Frank Gaffney joining us on the show, and he's just going to be talking about you know kind of what he sees on the ground in Washington, and also the priorities uh, that the Trump administration should have, assuming they move into a second term uh, next year. What priorities, national security priorities, America faces uh, in this election cycle moving forward, and the concerns he would have if a Biden administration were to take over and and, and take America in a different direction with respect to our national security policy. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. As I do at the close of every show, I like to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started election 2010, what didn't, didn't happen. Biden up by double digits everywhere as the media claim did not happen. Texas going blue did not happen. Democrats take control of the Senate didn't happen, and therefore they will not be involved, engaged in court packing. I didn't even go through this Senate. I may talk about the Senate tomorrow a little bit. Some really interesting race results. Now we should have more results tomorrow, but great results for the Republicans. A few uh, not good results for the conservatives where a Democrat uh, took out a Republican, but a lot of great and surprising results in Senate races. All networks, including Fox, manipulate Election Day calls to favor Biden and hurt Trump, to set the stage for delayed and potentially made up vote counting. Actions of Democrat-controlled Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin to suddenly stop counting votes as Trump was clearly headed to victory were and are transparently potentially corrupt. And here is what else did not happen. Americans did not turn out in droves to vote for a senile 77-year-old man who barely campaigned, never drew a crowd even 100 people, endorsed socialism, higher taxes, and banning fossil fuels and fracking, manifestly sold out his country for personal enrichment, and sold out his country to its most dangerous enemy, communist China. This election is a coup in progress. Americans must stop it. And we talked about updates from various states. I was going to do more states. I ran out of time. But anyway, Arizona. Within the last two hours, there were still 500,000 ballots to count, trending three to one for Trump, more than enough for Trump to win Arizona. And in Pennsylvania, unpostmarked mail-in ballots with signatures that don't match the voter counted, the voter counted without poll watchers will be counted. What could go wrong? And that. My very fine friends, as America can we talk for today? These are tumultuous times, and actually in some ways, they can be very much uh, times when we begin to understand what, we're cha what the challenges are that America faces, uh, how we deal with them, what corrections we need to make to our voting system, where we stand in terms of what the American people really think. But what my show is all about, America Can We Talk, is all about preserving the unique, extraordinary experiment and human liberty that is America. And I will always stand up for that, even if it turns out the Biden team won and we have a Biden White House. It won't be Biden, it'll be Harris and whoever else she has with her. It'll be that kind of White House. But no matter who's in White House, no matter who has control of the House and the Senate, the simple fact is, is a duty of patriots in every generation to protect and defend the extraordinary idea that is America. And that's what my show is all about, standing up and speaking up for the extraordinary idea that is America. I speak up for America 
because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can